0: follow along with this, just raise your hand. Um, You know, tomorrow's the first day of summer, so that means the longest day of the year. And with these long days, I thought that maybe I'd do four chapters tonight. So that's my plan. And it'll be light when you get out. So anyhow, four chapters tonight, chapters 22 through 25 is like uh, what I'd like to cover tonight. So we'll begin in chapter 22. We'll see how far the Lord takes us tonight. First Chronicles of the old testament while you're turning there just a couple quick announcements first of all um no young adults uh guys uh tomorrow night or the next week uh so tomorrow and then next week on thursday nights as young adults no young adults so just remember that and then on sunday we'll be in chapter 16 of the book of acts as paul and the missionary team of silas and timothy who has joined paul um, on this missionary journey, and then also Dr. Luke has joined uh, the missionary team as well, are going to um, go into Philippi and establish the first church in Europe. And so we're going to take a look at the events of uh, the Church of Philippi being established. Paul had a very, very special relationship with this church, the Church of Philippi. We'll talk a little bit about that, but we'll also see why. And also, as we make application, we're going to see... Uh, how it is that we respond when we find ourselves at the midnight hour, in a dark place, where we're going through difficulty and hardship, and so important lessons on Sunday. Invite somebody out to Calvary Chapel, 8.30, 10.30, our service times this Sunday. And then Tuesday, uh, the ladies 55 and over luncheon. Details, ladies, if you haven't signed up for that. And also, they're going to be celebrating June Faulkner's birthday. So uh, look at that, a card and other things that uh, are listed there in the bulletin. I don't have one with me. Uh, I apologize for that, but ladies, sign up for that. And you can talk to Jean and Lois as well, who are here, if you have any questions. And I believe, Jean, your number is in the bulletin. And so you can call Gene if you guys have any questions on that. So with that said, let's get into our Bible study. Father, we ask that you bless this time. And Lord, just as we sang that uh, may we hunger and thirst for you and for your word. And Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And Lord, we thank you that we can be here on this summer night and uh, just be able to uh, be in the sanctuary where it's cool and, uh, Lord, right now, just be able to take in the Word of God. Fill us, Lord. Fill us uh, to overflowing. Lord, may we be satisfied, like a, a plant that's um, in the summertime that needs water. Um, as, as we water the flowers and the grass that are so thirsty, may that be our soul. We, we be like that deer um, that, that pants for the water brook, as the psalmist wrote. And, Lord, taking in the water of the Word. And so, Lord, may we be refreshed and renewed as we make application. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So David, the king of Israel, who has been defeating his enemies all around him, and we know that David was one that desired to bless the Lord and honor the Lord with his life. He wants to build the temple. And so we're going to see that David's going to prepare to build the temple. He's not actually going to build it. His son Solomon is. But David, this man after God's own heart, as we see that very clearly, is he has brought the Ark of the Covenant from Kirjath-Jerim to Jerusalem to establish a central place of worship there in Jerusalem. And then also he desired to build that temple. Nathan said, you're not going to build the temple, David. You're a man of war, and your son Solomon's going to build the temple. But David, we're going to see, is going to prepare to help make it easier for Solomon when he comes along to build the temple. And as we see that David desired to honor the Lord and to bless the Lord in the things that he did, we also know that this man who had a heart after God also was a sinner as well. And one of the sins that is recorded uh, to us in First Chronicles chapter 21 was David counting the people. And most Bible scholars believe that that was towards the end of David's reign. And he counted the people because he became prideful. He was seeing how strong he was. 1.5 million soldiers that were in David's army, and that's without the tribe of Benjamin and Levi being counted. So David, he wanted to know the numbers so he can see what his strength was. He had forgotten what he had written in Psalm 20, that some trust in horses and some in chariots, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. His strength was in the Lord alone, and so there was a plague that came upon Jerusalem, and and David and the leaders in sackcloth would cry out to the Lord, and they repented, and the Lord told David, you buy the threshing floor of Ornan, and you give a sacrifice there, and that's what David did. He went to Ornan, the Jebusite, and, and wanted to buy his threshing floor there on Mount Moriah. And, and Ornan would say to David, I'll give you the oxen, I'll give you the wood, I'll give you the, the threshing implements, the wheat for the peace offering, I'll, I'll give you the, the, everything for the grain offering. I'll give it to you all. And David said, no, I'll buy it from you. I'll buy it from you for, from, you know, for full price, for I will not take What is yours for the Lord? In other words, if you give it to me, Ornan, this is your sacrifice is what it is. Nor will I offer burnt offerings with that which cost me nothing. David would say something very important that we discussed last week, and I hope you're here. As we are called to be a living sacrifice unto the Lord. And being a Christian that desires to follow after the Lord and stand on the promises and the truth of the Lord, then there's sacrifices and there is a cost in that. Jesus, you remember, he said to his disciples that when you follow me, count the cost. And you're to die to self, pick up your cross, and follow after me. So here is David. He teaches us a very important lesson. And he would give that burnt sacrifice. He would give the grain offering. He would give the peace offering. And we know that he would not go to the tabernacle uh, that was in Gibeon, about 12 miles away, 15 miles away from Jerusalem. And he didn't go before the tabernacle there, because he was afraid of the sword of the angel of the Lord. So we know that in the book of Deuteronomy, that the Lord told the children of Israel, when you go into the promised land, don't just sacrifice anywhere, don't be like the Canaanites that have put up these high places and these wooden groves, and they practice their false, you know, worship there, and and, uh, immorality, and and false idol uh, pagan uh, offerings that were offered in those high places. The Lord said, I will appoint a place. And so when they came into the promised land, Shiloh was one of those places where the tabernacle was, and they would come and offer sacrifices. It was there for hundreds of years. And now at this point, Gibeon and David, he would give that burnt offering, and the Lord accepted it. So David knows that this now is where the temple is going to be. The Lord said, I will point a place where you're going to offer sacrifices so now with the temple going to be built by solomon david knows that this is the place there on mount moriah at the threshing floor of onan the jebusite that's where the temple is going to be built chapter 22 then david said this is the house of the lord god for this is the altar burnt offering for israel in other words this is the place i know because God would honor and accept this sacrifice this is the place where the temple is going to be built and so we continue reading in verse 2 so David commanded it to gather the aliens who were in the land of Israel and he appointed masons to cut hewn stones to build the house of God and David prepared iron in abundance for the nails of the doors for the gates and for the joints and bronze in abundance beyond measure and cedar trees in abundance for the For the Sidonians and those from Tyre brought much cedar wood to David. Verse 5, now David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced, and the houses to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, famous and glorious throughout all the countries. I will now make preparation for it. So David made abundant preparations before his death. Again, we talked about when Nathan came to David and said, David, I spoke too hastily that you're not going to actually build a temple because you're a man of war but your son's going to build a temple and David didn't just say well forget that I guess I'll just kind of kick back and and um, you know put that off as something I wanted to do but he didn't focus on what he couldn't do what he did is he did what he could do and he knew that when his son would come on the, the throne after his death he would be inexperienced. So David said, I'm going to do everything that I can to help him be prepared in building of the temple. So he focused on what he could do. And so David is gathering the materials, and, and you look at all this, how detailed he is. He's getting the iron, um, and he's getting uh, the you know iron for the gates and the joints and bronze and cedar trees in abundance. The, the cedar trees would come from up north in, in what today is called Lebanon. Uh, Tyre and Sidon, the Sidonians, were very much very good at, at, at mason work and carpenters. And we know that David made friends with Hiram, the king of Tyre and Sidon, and he made a covenant with him, and Solomon would confirm that covenant to where this workforce would come from Tyre and Sidon to help David build the temple, or that is Solomon build the temple. They actually would help David build his house. And there's a huge workforce that's going to be raised up in building Solomon's temple, as we will see when we go into 2 Chronicles. And David says it must be a magnificent building for the Lord. Now, David, in saying that, was saying that so that, that the Lord this building is going to be magnificent with gold and bronze and silver and and beautiful you know, uh, stones, huge stones, very costly stones that they would cut there in Solomon's quarry and all the cutting was done in the quarry, you remember, in our study of 1 Kings. And then they would bring the stones down and they would fit perfectly together. There was not the sound of a hammer or a chisel there on the temple mount. Amazing project that is going on here. 30,000 men were commissioned to bring those logs down from Lebanon. They would bring them down the coast of the Mediterranean Sea to and then bring them up to Jerusalem. And there was like 70,000 men that were in the quarry and 80,000 men there at the Temple Mount. And it took Solomon seven years to build the temple. And I think if David hadn't got the materials ready and made the plans, because what we're going to see here is, yes, David did get the materials ready, but also David got the spiritual side of things ready as well. He's going to organize the Levites and the priests and the musicians and the gatekeepers and give them all their responsibilities. So David is really being thorough here and helping prepare for the temple to be built by his son Solomon. So here is David wanting to glorify the Lord in this building that is being built, and that's what we need to remember because he knew that when the other nations saw this magnificent temple, they would say, you have a great God, and we want to know about this, God. It's kind of like when you study John's gospel during that last week of Jesus' life. It's, it's Passover. People are coming into Jerusalem. The Jews are coming in from all over. It's interesting that Josephus, the Jewish historian, he would estimate that there was about 2.5 million people that would come into Jerusalem during the time of Passover during Jesus' day because they didn't count the people but they counted the sheep that were sacrificed. And one year, they counted 256,000 sheep that were sacrificed for Passover. So they figure about one sheep for every 10 people. So here is Jerusalem being packed out during Passover, but also we see evidence that other people would come as well from other nations. And you remember in John chapter 12 that the Greeks wanted to see Jesus? And you think, why were the Greeks there? This is a Jewish holiday. Passover, why were the Greeks there wanting to see Jesus? Because the Greeks believed in a lot of gods. And they thought the more magnificent the temple, the must be the more magnificent the God. And that was their thinking. So here David, he knew that the other nations, that as they saw this magnificent temple, they would say, they must have a magnificent God. Look at how he's blessing them. And look at this magnificent temple. Here's the thing for us. And whatever it is that we have, whether it seems to be magnificent in the world's eyes or not, whatever it is that we have, and may this place Calvary Chapel, and anything that we have, whether it's this building or what we do, may always bring glory and honor to the Lord. See, sometimes ministries or churches can fall into, well, we are got to have this magnificent building so we can magnify our name. Or maybe a pastor, he wants to, you know, leave this legacy. Look how great my ministry is. It ought not to be. And you can do that in a real subtle way. But anything that we have, any building that we have, anything that that we're doing for the kingdom of God, may it always be because we want to magnify the Lord. And you see, that's what David wants to do here. And he's preparing for it. In verse 6, we continue reading. And then he called for his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. And David said to Solomon, my son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, You have shed much blood, and have made great wars, and you shall not build a house for my name, because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. And behold a son shall be born to you, who shall be a man of rest, and I will give him rest from all his enemies all around. His name shall be Solomon, for I will give peace and quietness to Israel in his days. In verse 10, he shall build a house for my name, and he shall be my son, and I will be his father. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. David, you're a warrior. Solomon's going to be a man of peace. I'm going to give you peace and rest, Solomon, in your days. And we know for you and for me that the only true rest and peace that we will have in our day is those of us who have a close, intimate, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You remember up there on the hillside of Galilee that Jesus would cry out, Come to me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me and learn to me, for you will find rest for your souls. And I don't think that there's a single person here in this place that would not want to have rest in their souls. We all want rest, don't we? We want that rest. What is rest? Just that assurance and and that calmness and, and confidence that God is working in my life, that he's in my life, that he's with me, that his promises are true for me, and that, Lord, you are working in my situation. That's what he wants us to come to that point of resting in his love. And we see it's more than trusting in the Lord. It's resting in him as well. And it only comes from the Lord. And you go and you learn of him, as Jesus said. Come to me is what he said. So to find that rest that the world is looking for only comes from that closeness with Jesus Christ and learning of him. And then also that peace as well. Because we have peace with God through Jesus Christ, and we can have the peace of God. And you remember, as we are going to be studying about how the church of Philippi is going to be established this Sunday. But Paul later on would write them a letter, and he would say to them, when Paul was in a very tough situation, he was in prison, he doesn't know if he's going to continue to live. And he would say to the Philippian believers, be anxious for nothing. And when Paul writes that epistle to the church of Philippi, the whole theme is joy. And Paul would say over and over again, numerous times in that short letter, rejoice in the Lord, I say again, rejoice. And don't be anxious for anything, he would continue to say in chapter 4. But through prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God that passes understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You see, in our lives, we get anxious, don't we? We can get anxious about a lot of things. Our jobs, finances, about our families, situations, about our health. There are things that come into our lives that cause us to be anxious. And Paul says, you know, my life, I'm chained to a Roman guard, but I'm not anxious because I go to the Lord in prayer and with thanksgiving. And whatever it is that you may be facing tonight, maybe you feel imprisoned with a situation. Are bound up because of, of something that's going on in your life that is very difficult, you can go to the Lord and we have reason to be thankful as Christians because we have the hope of heaven. We have forgiveness of sin. We have Jesus in our hearts. We have his promise. He's with us. He'll never leave us or forsake us. And as we do that, he'll give us that peace that passes understanding. We all go through life and there are things that happen that we don't have understanding why they happened but Lord, you're going to give me a peace that passes understanding. So true rest and peace only comes from a closeness with the Lord, going to the Lord. The world cannot offer that to you or to me. Not true rest, not true peace. Only Jesus Christ can. So Solomon, you're going to build the temple. You're going to have peace in your life and in, the, in, the, in um, Israel and quietness as well. In verse 11, Now my son, may the Lord be with you, and may you prosper and build the house of the Lord your God, as he has said to you. Only may the Lord give you wisdom and understanding, and give you charge concerning Israel, that you may keep the law of the Lord your God. And then you will prosper if you take care to fulfill the statutes and the judgments with which the Lord charges Moses concerning Israel. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Now, doesn't that remind you of something? It does me. It rings a bell with me of Joshua chapter 1, right? Joshua chapter 1. Moses, he would tell Joshua at the end of the book of Deuteronomy that Joshua, I'm going to die over here on the other side, the Jordan River, Moses died on Mount Nebo, which is today Jordan. And you're going to take the children of Israel across the river. So you would be strong and of good courage. And then in chapter 1 of Joshua, three times the Lord says, Joshua, you're going to take the children of Israel into the promised land. So meditate on the word of God day and night. And as you do, you'll be prosperous in all your ways. And be strong and of good courage. Don't be dismayed. Joshua was going to face the Canaanites and against overwhelming odds, but the Lord said, I'm going to defeat those Canaanites and drive them out. Be strong and of good courage. And then the people would come to Joshua and say, Joshua, we'll follow you. We'll do what you, know, you tell us to do. We'll follow you like we did Moses. But there's one thing that we ask, that you be strong and good courage. And so as Christians, all throughout the Scriptures, we're told to be strong and of good courage. And how it is that we can be prosperous? We can be prosperous in the best sense of the word. Not in the way that the prosperity teachers on TV tell you that, This is how you become prosperous and name it and claim it and nab it and grab it and all this nonsense. The best way to be successful and prosperous is you meditate on the Word of God day and night. That you take the Word of God and you hide it in your heart and then you have it worked out in your life. And that's what true wisdom is. But you see, you can't, you know, really walk in that wisdom if you don't know the Word of God. So it's important for you and for I to continue in the Word of God, continuing to take it in and continuing to learn of the Lord and then be strong of good courage and listen. It's the Lord that has to do that work in us and that's a prayer of mine. Lord, help me to be strong of good courage. I don't know what today holds, but I need to be strong for my family. I need to be strong for my children. I need to be strong for this church, Calvary Chapel Greeley. And most of you would agree with me on this, But the days are getting more darker and more evil. And I don't know what the future holds. If the Lord tarries, you know, in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, if we're still here and the Lord hasn't taken us home, I think, how bad is it going to get? And how bad is it going to get for these kids that are upstairs learning the Word of God? How hard is it going to be for these kids that are over here learning the Word of God? So please, don't come to me and say, you know what we need to do? We need to entertain the kids more. They need to, you know, do more, you know, stuff and marshmallows in their mouths, you know, kind of games and things like that. Listen, I'm not against having fun. Last night, we were in the park, and I went there for a little bit, and the kids were having a great time. It was just hanging out and having ice cream and playing soccer. And I realized at 52 years of age, I can't play soccer with these guys. It's just it's about... So I started cheating. I tried to push them down and all this. (laughs) I love being with your kids. But while we have them here, let's get them grounded in the Word of God. Because I know that God declares that's where they're going to be prosperous and they're going to be successful. And I hope that you, mom and dads, and I pray for me as a pastor, that we be strong and good courage. To be a Christian that is committed to the Lord and the ways of the Lord, it takes courage today. And it's going to take more and more courage because the world is going to come against us. The world is not going to applaud us. The world's going to hate us. Jesus said that would happen because the world hated me first. And a servant isn't above his master. If they hated me, Jesus said, they're going to hate you. So we need to take that command, be strong and of good courage. To continue to to take in the word of God to be prosperous, and the Lord will do that work in our lives and in our families and in the life of this church as we're committed to just being once fully surrendered, as we sang tonight to the Lord. So here Solomon is is being encouraged that what it is that you're going to do and and charge to stay faithful to God and to His Word. In verse fourteen, indeed I have taken much trouble to prepare for the house of the Lord 100,000 talents of gold and 1 million talents of silver and bronze and iron, beyond measure, for it is so abundant. I prepare timber and stone also that you may add to them, and Solomon does add to that. And moreover, there are workmen with you in abundance, woodsmen and stonecutters and all types of skillful men from every kind of work. You know, one of the things that I'm so appreciative Is those you who work so well with your hands that are such a blessing uh, to me and to this fellowship as as we work on the house of the Lord here, just uh, your skill and, and what you're able to do. I'm so thankful for that. And of gold and silver and bronze and iron, there's no limit. Arise, begin working, and the Lord be with you. And David also commanded all of the leaders of Israel to help Solomon, his son, saying, Is not the Lord your God with you? And has he not given you rest on every side? For he has given the inhabitants of the land into my hand, and the land is subdued before the Lord and before his people. In verse 19, now set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. Therefore arise and build the sanctuary of the Lord God, to bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord and the holy articles of God into the house that is to be built for the name of The Lord. So here, gather the materials of the temple is what David is doing. And David calls the leaders to do the work of the Lord. And he would say something very important for us to understand, verse 19. He said, set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. First of all, that's what we're to do, mom and dads, grandmas and grandpas. Those of you who are ministering to others, first of all, you've got to set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. That needs to happen with us on a daily basis, on a consistent basis. That we're seeking the Lord, seeking His Word, seeking the heart of God. That we are desiring to know Him more. That happens first. Then we can rise up and begin to do the work of the Lord. He says, therefore, arise and do the work of the sanctuary. You can see David is probably very, you know, there's a sense of urgency, isn't it, as you read this, uh, what David is saying, a sense of the leaders being called to rise up and do the work. The people, rise up and do the work. And I want to encourage you, let's seek the Lord. Let's seek the heart of the Lord, the word of the Lord, and then we can rise up and do the work of the Lord. And how a wonderful and glorious opportunity that we have in the day in which we're living in to serve the lord and to be able to be a blessing to others and whatever gifts he's given to you and opportunities that he has for you in the place that you're at opportunities here serve the lord arise because he is still building a temple today do you know that it's a temple made of living stones, as Peter would write in his epistle. What is interesting is Solomon's temple eventually gets destroyed. We'll see that at the end of Second Chronicles. And we know that they would come back and rebuild the temple, and then Herod would expand it to where it became a magnificent temple, one of the wonders of the world as far as buildings at the time of Jesus. And that ended up being destroyed to where not one stone was left upon another in 70 A.D. by the Romans. But for 2,000 years, we have been seeing a temple being built of living stones greater than those buildings that stood in Jerusalem. And that's one of the things that the author of Hebrews really tries to bring out to those Hebrew readers that were looking at the temple and they were missing the temple worship and the sacrifices and the feast and all of this and all the activity. And here the writer of Hebrews, whether it was Paul or Barnabas or whoever it was, is saying, listen, that he's making the temple right now with his own hands and referring to the church, Living Stones being Put together, as Peter would write, to a holy habitation. And you see, I hope and pray that you're excited about serving the Lord and whatever he has for you. That you get to be a part of something that is so very special that will last for all eternity, that will not be destroyed. So Solomon, you're going to build the temple and and the people are going to rise up and do the work of the Lord. In chapter 23, so when David was old and full of days, he made his son Solomon king over Israel. I like that term, full of days, you know. We don't call people, we don't call them old, we'll just call them full of days. I like that. I just like that phrase, and full of days, he made his son Solomon king over Israel. And you recall that in um, 1 Kings chapter 1, that when David, his days were coming to an end, it was obvious he was in bed, and his son Adonijah self-proclaimed himself to be the king. You remember that? And Adonijah had with him Joab, who was, you know, David's commander of his army for years, and also one of the um, um, priests that were with him, um, that uh, Abathar, he was with them as well. They joined forces, and they were having this feast, and Adonijah was self-proclaiming himself as king. So it was Bathsheba and Nathan that went to David and said, Hey, your son Adonijah? He's claiming himself to be king, and Joab and Abiathar is with him. So David said, get my donkey, set Solomon on him, blow the trumpet, he will be proclaimed as king, and that's what happened. And so Adonijah knew that he was in big trouble when that happened. Listen, we don't self-proclaim ourselves to any position of ministry. Never. Unless you let, until you let the son of David proclaim it to, to you until you let the lord proclaim it to you and make it obvious as he opens up the doors for you but you don't have to self-proclaim yourself in any position of ministry because it won't work so here's david that solomon is going to be king over israel after his death and he gathered together all the leaders of israel with the priests and the levites now the levites were numbered from the age of 30 years and above and the number of individual males was 38,000 now these 24,000 were to look after the work of the house of the Lord 6,000 were officers and judges in Numbers chapter 8 it tells us that the Levites were to serve from 25 years of age to 50 years of age and it's interesting because when you look at it from ages 25 till they were 30 they were going through training the Levites And you know who they were trained by? They were trained by those Levites that were over 50 years of age. In other words, the Levites, when they reached 50, they stopped ministering specifically there at the tabernacle so what they did is they turned around and they began to train the younger generation that was 25 years old to do the work of the ministry so those between the ages of 30 and 50 were actually serving there in the tabernacle but as we look at that it's interesting that they did that and I think it's a good model for you and for me the scripture says that the older should be working with the younger the older women should counsel the younger women we see that Paul the Apostle, even in his missionary journeys, who does he have with him? He has Timothy, right? And he's going to be ministering you know, with Timothy and discipling Timothy. And Timothy becomes a co-laborer with Paul, a fellow servant for Paul. He, he was a young protege of Paul, along with other guys such as Titus. And you can go through the Scriptures in the New Testament... Paul had a lot of disciples, these younger guys, that he was training for the work at the ministry. And he would say to them, that follow my manner of faith, you guys, that that be uh, one that you're an example to the believers. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. So Paul was a wonderful, wonderful mentor to these young guys that he was raising up for ministry. And I think it's very important, again, I know that we've talked about this, that we as a church, that we are raising up the younger generation for ministry because again if the Lord tarries then they're our future and I really believe that what happens to some churches that end up dying out is they didn't spend the time you know working with the younger generation encouraging them ministering to them discipling them so what happens is the church ends up dying out and it's unfortunate And my prayer is that, Lord, I want to bring up the younger generation because they are our future. I want to minister and disciple them because I'm not going to last forever. I found that out last night when I was huffing and puffing. And I want to be here as long as I can. But if the Lord tarries 30, 40 years, what's going to happen to Calvary Chapel Greeley? I pray that we're a strong light in this community. And it was our younger people that we took the time to love and give them truth and to work with them and to minister to them. And my hope and prayer is, is that we would support that work. And the younger people, they're going to make mistakes. And they're going to you know, have a long learning curve, just like I'm still learning and I'm still growing. But those of us who have been around the block a few times that are older, we have a lot to offer them. And one of the things that I want to do as I find myself over 50 years of age and being in ministry for nearly 22 years is I want to be able to encourage them and to bless them and to be able to support them and mentor them and disciple them. Because I have learned a few things over these 22 years by God's grace. To be able to pass that along and to bless them. And that's what the Levites did. That's how they were set up so it was a good model So David here, not only getting the physical things ready for the temple, but the spiritual things as well, the Levites and the priests. And we see here that he's going to change the responsibility of the Levites. As in the wilderness wandering, the Levites uh, assisted the priests. Mostly their duties were to be transporting the tabernacle and the furnishings. So David's going to give them new duties. 24,000 were to maintain the temple. 6,000 were officers and judges. And as we read in verse 5, 4,000 were gatekeepers and 4,000 praised the Lord with musical instruments, which I made, said David, for giving praise. 4,000 gatekeepers, 4,000 worship leaders. Can you imagine that, how incredible? You can see how important worship was to David and the temple. And then in verses 6 through 23, as we read in verse 6, David separated into divisions among the sons of Levi, Gershon, Coeth, and Merari. So we've seen this division, haven't we, in Numbers chapter 4? And the same division by these families are here once again in first chronicles chapter 23 in verses 7 through 11 what we see is the family of the gershonites that are listed there and again i'm not going to read all these names and if you want some good bedtime reading you can go through those names and you can read them but i'm not going to to read them tonight the gershonites remember in numbers chapter 4 they're the ones that took care of the skins the, the tabernacle was made of animal skins they took care of the skins that covered the tabernacle now there's a permanent building, and the responsibilities are now going to change. Sometimes the tasks that we do in ministry will change. There's a variety of gifts, as Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and he went on to say differences of ministries. In other words, that you use that gift that God has given to you, but your ministry may change a bit. For example, you have the gift of teaching. You may start out with the children's ministry, and then you find yourself... Teaching a, a small group or you may end up teaching youth or whatever it might be, but you're using that same gift maybe you have the gift of service and you you're you know doing something practically for the church maybe you're doing the yard work and all of a sudden you find yourself where you know a different ministry you're working in the coffee shop and doing that but my point is be flexible in what God would have you to do and these guys have to be flexible it's no more tabernacle this is a grand temple so your responsibilities are going to change and be flexible in where God has you and what he wants to do through you as you use your gifts for the glory of Christ. So verses 7 through 11, the Gershonites, and then verses 12 and 13, the sons of Koath, Amram is listed there. And Amram, which came Aaron and um, would come from Aaron what? The direct descendants of Aaron were the priests, Right? Every priest was a Levite, but not every Levite was a priest. And we read here in verse 13 the sons of Amram, Aaron, and Moses, and Aaron was set apart, he and his sons forever, that he should sanctify the most holy things, to burn incense before the Lord, to minister to him, to give the blessing in his name forever. I like that. Peter calls you and I, the church, a royal priesthood. In Revelation chapter 5, in that new song of the church, that he has made us a kingdom of priest. So you're a priest. You're a priest, Dad, in your home. And we're a kingdom of priests. So the priests of the Old Testament sanctified the most holy things. It speaks of holiness. And you and I, priest, have been sanctified by the Lord. That is, we've been set apart to bring glory and honor to him for the purposes of the lord they would burn incense before god it represented prayer the priest would go in and the altar of incense they would burn incense and it was like a sweet smell and aroma to the lord it represented the prayers and you and i as priests we are to be praying we are to be involved in intercessory prayer praying for people praying for those who are lost i love the prayer chain that we have here and and so many of you are being dedicated to praying for people that need prayer, and I'm so thankful for that. So we are to be ones that, that we represent the people to God just as they did in praying for them, and then they were to thirdly minister to Him. And you minister to Him. How do you minister to Him? Through your devotion, through worship. Do you realize that it blesses the Lord when we come together and worship, but also in your own private worship time. And we can bless the Lord as we're dedicated to him, devoted to him. We worship him, give thanks to him. That's how we can please him as we serve him, as we give him the first fruits of our lives. And then fourthly, they were to be a blessing to others. That The way for you to be a blessing for others is not only do you pray for them as you represent, you know, uh, Uh, the people to God, but then also you're to represent God to the people. Tell people about the heart of God, the truth of the Lord, the truth of the gospel. That's how you can be a blessing to others, just loving them in the love of Jesus Christ. So, this was Koath and, and the sons of Aaron the priests, and then verses fourteen through twenty, the sons of Moses in the family of Koath, remember they carried the furnishings in numbers chapter four there 's going to be no more carrying the furnishings, and their responsibilities change as well and then, in verses twenty one the sons of Maryi are listed through verse twenty three they took care of the boards out there in the wilderness. And their responsibilities change. And then verse 24, These are the sons of Levi by their father's houses, the heads of the father's houses, as they were counted individually by the number of their names, who did the work for the service of the house of the Lord from age of 20 years and above. For David said, The Lord God of Israel has given rest to his people that they may dwell in Jerusalem forever. And also to the Levites, they shall no longer carry the tabernacle or any of the articles for its service. So, David, um, he lowers the age of service now to 20 years of age. uh, So more could serve because the temple, uh, the tasks of the temple are much more than the tabernacle. And then in verse 27... We read for, by the last words of David, the Levites were numbered from 20 years old and above because their duty was to help the sons of Aaron for the service of the house of the Lord in the courts and in the chambers in the purifying of all holy things and the work of the service of the house of God, both with his showbread and the fine flour of grain offering, with the unleavened cakes, what is baked in the pan, with what is mixed with all kinds of measures and sizes, to stand every morning to thank and praise the Lord and likewise at evening, and at every presentation of the burnt offering to the Lord on the Sabbaths and on the new moons and on the feast, set feasts by numbers according to the ordinance governing them regularly before the Lord so that they should attend to the needs of the tabernacle meeting, the needs of the holy place, and the needs of the sons of Aaron, their brethren, and the work of the house of the Lord. I want to draw attention very quickly to verse 30 to stand every morning to thank and praise the Lord and likewise at evening. Do we do that? every morning that you're giving thanks and praise to God, and then at the end of the day you do it as well. I think it's very important that we as Christians that we do that. Chapter 24, now these are the divisions of the sons of Aaron. The sons of Aaron were Nabad, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, and Nabad and Abihu died before their father and had no children. Therefore, Eleazar and Ithamar ministered as priests. So you recall that Aaron had four sons. In Numbers chapter 10, after they had dedicated the tabernacle, there's fire that came from heaven the people fell on their faces they gave a great shout you go to numbers chapter 10 while that was happening it was a holy happening i mean it was an amazing thing that was going on nabat and abihu they got excited and what they did is they let their own censers they ran into the holy of holies and fire came down from heaven and consumed them and they offered profane fire strange fire before the lord And we know from our study in the book of Leviticus that the priests, when they were to go in and burn an incense, they they were to light their censers from the altar out there in the outer court. And that altar speaks of what? That's where they did the sacrifices. And it points to, and it speaks of what? Jesus Christ, who became the sacrifice for you and for me. Listen, I know that you know this because we've gone over it before. Don't offer strange fire to the Lord. Paul would write, it's the love of Christ that constrains us or motivates us. We are to light our censers on the altar as we look at the cross and see Jesus there died for us. He loved us first, and now we love him. That Christ died for us, that while we're yet sinners, that he died. He proved his love for us, demonstrated his love for us, that while we're sinners, Christ died for us. And when we serve him and live for him, it's because, Lord, of my love for you, and if you're serving the Lord because you want to help people, which is a good motivation, or I just have this need or, you know, i got some time on my hands, it's strange fire. My primary motivation for serving you, Lord, is because of my love for you. Because you died on Calvary's cross for my sins. And so that's important for us to understand. So two of them ended up getting burned up. The rest of the priests would follow his other two sons. And we read in verse 3, And then David and Zadok of the sons of Eleazar and Ahimelech of the sons of Ithamar divided them according to the schedule of their service. These were more leaders found in the sons of Eleazar than of the sons of Ithamar, and thus they were divided. Among the sons of Eleazar were sixteen heads of their father's houses, eight heads of their father's houses among the sons of Ithamar. Thus they were divided by lot, one group as another, for they were officials of the sanctuary and officials of the house of God, from the sons of Eleazar, from the sons of Ithamar. And the scribe Shemaiah, the son of Nathanael, one of the Levites, wrote them down before the king, the leaders, Zadok the priest, Ahimelech the son of Ebeathar, and the heads of the fathers' houses of the priests and Levites of the fathers' house, taken for Eleazar and one for Ithamar. And the first lot fell on, and then all these names that follow afterwards as we look at this. So the Levites were to serve for two weeks. After two weeks, they would go back to their home, the cities of the Levites. They were divided by lots into 24 sections. Lots of names that are here, and we can look at this and think that it's redundant, that it's insignificant, but it wasn't insignificant to God, and he recorded it in the Word of God for us to look at tonight and for you to read tonight when you go to bed, right? Listen, you may think what you do for the Lord. Mom, maybe you're raising your children in the ways of the Lord. Dad says you're providing for your family. You know that's what's right in the sight of the Lord. As you're serving the Lord, you might think that, how would I do in helping in the nursery or helping with the kids or coming and cleaning or mowing the lawn or whatever is insignificant. No, it's not. The Lord knows your name. And what you do for him is remembered for all eternity and you'll be rewarded for it. So rejoice in being able to be used of the Lord. And we see here, and let's go to verse 20 here, that the rest of the sons of Levi and the sons of Amram, and we have names listed there. These were the descendants of Kohazim. Son, the line from Amram, who were not of Moses and Aaron. And then in verse 31, these were to cast lots just as their brothers, the sons of Aaron, did. In the presence of King David, Zadok, Am- Amalek, and the heads of the fathers' houses, and the priests and Levites, the chief fathers, just as their younger brethren. And moreover, David, the captains of the army, separated as service, some of the sons of Asaph, Haman, and Jeduthun, who should prophesy with harps, string instruments, and cymbals, and the number of skilled men performing their service was. So chapter 25, David continues to prepare for the temple, now getting the musicians organized. I find it interesting. Listen. Listen in verse 1. This is interesting. that The captain of the army separated for the service some of the sons of Asaph, Heman. They were worship leaders, brothers, remember? Why were the captains of the army taking part in this? Somehow, David saw that the security of the nation took part, and the security of the nation and the worship and honoring of God was somehow connected. And it is, isn't it? What has made our nation strong in the past, and what will make our nation strong and secure? A nation that worship and honors the Lord? What's going to make your family strong? A family that honors and worships the Lord. What's going to make this church strong and secure is a church that really honors and desires to worship the Lord. And that's what David realized. So the captains of the armies here, we don't want to miss that. And notice that they prophesied here in the instruments that that are being used here. Isn't that interesting here? They should prophesy, verse 1, with harps, string instruments, cymbals, and the numbers of skilled men performing their service as we read there. So, how do we figure that? Well, when you think about it, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, that prophecy was to bring what? Edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. You see, being a musician or worship leader is more than just producing good music. It is the Holy Spirit working through them to bring us closer to the heart of God. In verse 2, the sons of Asaph, and, and we see here under the direction of Asaph, Jeduthun, verse 3, of Heman And verse 4 here, and verse 5 of Heman. It's interesting. All these were the sons of Heman, the king seer, in the words of God, to exalt his horn. For God gave Heman 14 sons and 3 daughters. A lot of kids, didn't he? And all these were under the direction of the father of music in the house of the Lord with cymbals, string instruments, harps for the service of the house of God. Asaph, Jeduth, and Heman were under the authority of the king. What a blessing it must have been for this individual that had 14 sons and three daughters and they were serving the Lord. And it is a blessing when our children begin to serve the Lord. It's a blessing that just, that just brings joy to your heart. So that's why you want to pray for your kids that lord that they may know you and serve you all the days of their life and that's what our prayer is and what a blessing it must have been for this worship leader they're under the direction of of the the king and then verses seven and eight so the number of them with their brethren who were instructed with the songs of the lord who were skillful were 288 and they cast lots for their duty the small as well as the great the teacher with the student we see that model once again here they are teaching the younger, the students, in the worshiping of the Lord. One of the things I love is Travis has started working with some of the high schoolers, and last week they were working in here. And I just love to see them, you know, just in the beginning bursts, And it it's, was a joy as I was standing there listening to them and, and uh, watching them. And, and, um, and what a joy it was to see Travis working with them. And I pray that continues. As we work with our young people, pray for them that they'll serve the Lord. Encourage them in the ways of the Lord. And good things will happen. Good things will happen here at Calvary Chapel. Good things will happen in your family. And good things will happen in this community as the light of Jesus Christ continues to go out. So Father, we thank you. We thank you for these chapters that weren't... difficult to go through, but Lord, just a look at it and make some very good and important application for us tonight. And I, Lord, I thank you for everybody's patience in and, and this Bible study. And Father, I just want to pray tonight that we that are here, that we would have a heart for our children and for our young people. And I thank you for those that, Lord, pray for our young people who work with them. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in their lives. And, Father, we pray for them upstairs and over in the side rooms and for our kids that we know. And I think about how we minister to them at VBS, all the kids that came, and what a blessing and honor it is to be able to do that. So give us wisdom. And we know that as parents and as adults, as ministry leaders, that we're to be meditating on the Word of God and then sharing it with them and be strong, good courage. So give us courage, Lord. Give us courage. Help us to be strong for them. Help us to be strong in our families. Help us to be strong in the church. And, Lord, having a desire to see them be raised up in ministry to bless others and have a heart for you. Oh, Father, there's so much out there to pull them away into the world. We pray for their protection, that you would guard their hearts. Father, we thank you for what you're doing here at Calvary Chapel. And Lord, we give you the praise and glory always for everything. And Lord, may we bless you as we stand on the gospel. And Father, I pray if there's anybody here tonight that has never committed their lives to you, surrendered their lives to you, that they would do so tonight. Maybe, maybe there's somebody here. Maybe you're sitting in a coffee shop or maybe you're just listening to this message later on. Maybe you have downloaded it on the computer or you're going to hear it on the radio. And you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. He loves you, and Jesus came and died for your sins because we're all sinners. And he desires for you to surrender your heart to him, to repent, turn directions, and cry out to him. He is your Lord and Savior. No one else died for your sins, and no one else rose from the grave. And you can pray right where you're at, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I confess I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. I believe that, Jesus, you died for me personally. that you were put into a grave and you rose again from the grave and i surrender my life to you right now and i know that only peace and rest truly comes from you and so lord i come just as your invitation said and i call upon the name of jesus to be my personal lord and savior help me to live for you jesus and to walk with you and for tonight lord all of us that we would go home safely and carry on with you to be a light to the places that we go to tomorrow, that we would love others, that we would be a blessing to them, and Lord, give truth to them. So we thank you for this time, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray, and all of God's people said, "Amen." amen.